Go ahead and grab a, a seat. You know, the, the unique thing, just as I was thinking about our message here this morning, is the way that we're wired up to really need to hear on occasion a good old well done. A good old well done. Anybody else appreciate every once in a while somebody taking the time to say like, hey, ni- nice job with that. I thought as a, as a demonstration of that, I'm going to invite uh, Chris. He doesn't know that I'm doing this to him right now. I'm going to invite Chris up uh, to come and chat with us for a second. And, uh, and I just picked him randomly as I was walking into the, the room this morning, and I was just thinking about what a good job he does in, uh, in courting being a dad, doing graduate school, leading our junior high kids, being a good husband. I'm assuming that, maybe. And, uh, and, and so we're going to do something. When I say, Chris, well done... I want you guys to give them like one of those round of applause, like well done, like you've never done before. So we're going to just try to see if we can live out what I'm claiming here. Does that sound all right? Are you guys willing to participate? All right. Hey, Chris, well done. Well done. <laughs> hey, hey, hey be, being honest there, being honest. That feels kind of good, though, doesn't it? Feels pretty good. Nice job. Thank you, Chris, for being a demonstration of that. Well done. (laughs) And and I was thinking about that as uh, just an exercise of us and even looking in this text that we're in this morning is that that, that Paul, as he's been challenging for the last stretch, as you guys know, if you've been a part of this series as we're working through 2 Timothy, he's had a lot of things of saying like, man, you need to work on this, hold strong, do this. And there's a little pause here on our text for those simple words of, well done, well done. And each one of us is wired up both on the receiving end of it to on occasion to be like, hey, that feels really good. And then also wired up to, to give it. There's something about, even for you guys, if you're honest with yourselves, hey, that felt kind of good to join in and clap for this guy I don't know and, uh, and, ce- and celebrate him a little bit. And, uh, and, and so the, the wiring that God's made us is, is, is pieced in so- inside of us to need it and also the desire to extend it. Well, I wanted to personally say thanks. This past month we have, if you guys are newer to the church, you didn't know, probably didn't know this. They do this thing called Pastors Appreciation, not day, but Pastor Appreciation Month. And so for the last 30 days, I just wanted to say thanks for so many people extending cards and thank yous and making treats. And somebody even gave the gift of, of saying, I'll, I'll babysit your kids for an evening. Are you kidding me? That's fantastic. And, and, so, and so I just wanted to say thank you for you. You've done a great job of saying well done to us as a staff. And I know uh, as the rest of the pastoral team and leadership team would acknowledge it's been a, a gift. It was funny, I was walking in last week, and you know how sometimes you see somebody with a treat in their hand, you're like, oh, you shouldn't have. That was so nice. This uh, Carrie Lopez had a, had a pie in her hand, and I later saw that she really had. She had made it for the, for the pastors, and so it's kind of funny. I was like feeling dumb saying, uh, oh, is that for me? And it really was. Um, <laughs> But, but here's the, the thing, just complimenting you as a, as a congregation doing a nice job with that. But we're going to dive into the text this morning. And really our text does a couple things. It breaks three different things. It does a word of encouragement where, where we see that, a well done. Uh, then, then also a little bit of a reality check and then a consistent reminder. So that's where we're going this week with those, this, this morning with those three things. But before we dive in, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this time, even this, this morning, to have a chance to celebrate you and your faithfulness through worship. It barely scratches the surface of your greatness 
in your majesty, God. We just pray that you are pleased in that, that, that time together here, a, t- a time to pause and to reflect on, on your heart and certain things in the culture around us that, that, that just aren't right, that, that takes a, a stand on our behalf to, to more than just uh, talk about it and be sympathetic, but to actually be empathetic, God, that we'd engage. And so I just pray that you'd stir, continue to move in our, our hearts as a church as we're really wanting to be a church that encounters, equips, and extends to the world around us. So God, we thank you for the opportunity for that pause in our morning. We pray now as we dive into your your word that we would not take that for granted. What a gift it is to have our own copy in our own hands of your word spoken out and breathed uh, through through your spirit into to the authors, God. I pray that you'd teach us, that you'd mold us and shape us into your likeness. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you can turn with me. We're in uh, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, and uh, we're going to be starting in verse 10. And if you don't have your Bible with you, you might notice that we have new pew Bibles. And so you can access those, and it's a translation ESV, which is what I teach from, and so a chance to actually align the words that you're reading with what I'm talking about. So that'll be great. So we're in 2 Timothy uh, 3, verse 10, and we're going to see this first thing. I already mentioned it, the idea of being encouraged, and what he's encouraging him for is for staying on course. Verse 10 says this, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which are persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Great little section of scripture there. Your first thing that you uh, notice who he's writing to, Timothy. You, however, unlike last week, the corrupt men that he was described in the first nine verses of that section of scripture, he's referring, so they've gone this route, but you, Timothy, have been faithful. You've stayed on course. It's so easy if we're not careful to get obsessed with where we need to get and forget where we've come from, right? You think back if you've been following Christ for a while, how you most likely are not the same person that you were five years ago, ten years ago. How God's been radically changing you and transforming you into his likeness. And so he points out the different areas that that he's been doing that. And the thing that I thought was interesting that he celebrates is what a great job he's done in following. In 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul also mentions this. He says, I urge you, talking to the Corinthian church, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. It's kind of a a neat ripple effect where Paul's saying, hey, I'm following Christ, so then follow me. And then Timothy is following him, and then he says, hey, how about if you then as a people, why don't you follow him? The whole idea of of this whole Christian deal falls under that umbrella of following. That's a major piece. That's a major piece of the Christian faith is the following. And he points out nine specific things that he's been following him in. You can maybe break those into three categories. The first one might be ministry. He points out in the text there, you can read it for yourself. You followed my teaching, which might be the doctrine or belief system. So his teaching His conduct, which I love that. It wasn't just something that was stated. It was something that was actually lived out. So his teaching, his conduct, he walked the walk, walked the talk. 
And then his aim in life, his aim in life, that can be defined as his driving passion. So the things that, that Paul was passionate about, Timothy was passionate about. The things that was a, a burden to, to his heart, it was also a burden to the heart of Timothy. I love that idea. So the ministry aspect, then also the personal aspect. He pointed out a few characteristics that he had adopted. He says that he followed him in his faith, or might be described as faithfulness, staying firm. His patience, the idea of never giving up. Love, which obviously we've talked a lot about here in church, is critical for every believer. His steadfastness, the idea of being steady and unwavering. So he's pointed out all these things, but then he moves. He says, not only have you followed me in some of the stuff that's a little bit more manageable, you've also followed me. What does it say? He says, in my, in my persecutions and sufferings. That's when you know it's the real deal, when it's not just like, hey, you haven't just followed me in the easy, you've also followed me in the difficult. I think it's interesting, I love how his, what a historical book scripture, scripture is, where he points out specific cities, he says he lists them, he lists three cities, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He's like, you remember those cities, what went down there? And it's fascinating, the book of Acts actually breaks down what happened in all three of those cities. I'm just going to point to one of them. I don't, I don't usually have you turn to a lot of different books, but we'll glance at this quickly. Acts 14, 19 says this. He describes what went down in, uh, in Lystra. He says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, where they had, he had already been persecuted, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, what does it say that they did? They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and staying that through and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I love this little section of scripture. First off, whenever I'm thinking like, man, I've been going through a hard week. I've had a tough, tough day. Whenever you look at like the idea of Paul. And the, what his tough day looked like versus my tough day. You know what I mean? I've been pretty angry at somebody before. Never to the point of actually picking up rocks and throwing them at them with the intention to kill. Anybody else had that day? I hope not. Like that's not really part of our culture. But that's what Paul's saying. Like, man, you know what I've been through. I've had rocks thrown at me with the intent to kill. They have thought they succeeded. Drug me out of the city. I stood up and what happened? Right back at it. Right back into the town, then onto the previous towns that had persecuted him. And why was he able to do that? Why is it? Is that, is that just craziness? Is that insanity? We see at the end of back to our text in Timothy, it says, Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. The Lord rescued me. Such an awesome picture because the, the truth is, is when we endure and we go through suffering and we stand firm, we do our part, what does God do in his part? He responds. We endure, he rescues. He is a rescuer. It's an awesome picture of our God, which is an amazing stop point in the, in the text there, why he was able to endure. I love the, the word some years back, I discovered the, the background to the word endure there, because that's really our part in suffering is this word endure. You know what the, the Greek word for that is this, is hyponymy. It's 
fun to say. Say it to your neighbor. Hyponamine. Hyponamine. And, and I'm probably even butchering the pronunciation of that. That's okay. Don't, don't tell anybody. And, and so, but, the, but the word there, endure, what the word endure actually means is it means to remain under. To remain under. Remain under. The idea of when we're going through persecution and tribulation and difficult times, it's not for us to figure out how to solve, how to get out of it, how to, how to say like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maneuver things or adjust things so I don't have to be in this scenario. There's a certain part of the walk with Christ that just involves enduring, remaining under, staying under, staying faithful, not avoid, escape, or solve, but endure. Remember some years back, I was uh, early in my, my time of ministry, I was working at a church and one of my roles was to help build a young adults ministry. Uh, young adults are so difficult to work with. And uh, sorry guys, just teasing. Uh, but but what, what we had uh, come up is we had, we were kind of building this gathering that we did each week, kind of like a youth group, only for kind of the post-college age. And we had an awesome rocking band, not quite as cool as Chad, but, uh, but a good band. And, uh, and, and we were starting to get together and I got word, and this is what breaks your heart of, of, uh, as, a, as a pastor, I got word of one of the key players in that, in that worship team having uh, made some choices of sexual misconduct, and I got wind of that, and, and actually had to remove him from the role of leadership and worship, as you, hopefully, as you're looking around, you're like, yeah, that's, that's wise. But it was interesting to me how many people were coming to me and saying, yeah, but then we can't do worship. Then we, you're like, can't, can't you just extend some grace? And like, I, I'm all for grace. I'm all for restoration. But there's also consequences for our choices. And, and leading worship is a privilege. And so it ended up being this difficult season where I just felt like I was being just attacked from every angle because I felt like, man, it's just one of those things. I had to stand for what I believed was right in this, in this scenario. And really thinking of that word, it was fun to see how God worked and orchestrated. And over time, it was revealed that, no, that was the right thing to do. And God had some growing and some molding to do in that group. And maybe they missed a few weeks of proclaiming God's praise, but God was doing a work on their in, in the ins, from the inside out. It's an awesome thing when we choose to endure, when we choose to endure, when we choose to remain under so this was a, a word of encouragement, and the encouragement that I believe there is the, the response at the end of that section is that when we remain under, God shows himself as a rescuer. So he moves from this section of encouragement into a, a, another section of verse 12, what I defined it or I titled it as a reality check. It's a little bit of a pause, and so he's had some word of encouragement of what a great job he's done following, but now a little bit of a like, hey, but let's be aware of some things. Look at this reality check in verse 12. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So he goes into this reality check, and really, if you break down that section there, I see three different things that he's pointing out as a reality. The first reality check is this, is don't be surprised by persecution. Don't be surprised 
by persecution. I don't know if you've ever, ever been on the receiving end of the, the, the whole sales practice of bait and switch. Are you familiar with that idea? If you're, you're presented one thing, and then when you get it, it's a, it's a whole nother thing. Like, it's miserable. I remember one time helping my dad shopping for a car, and we had called this dealership, and, and he had said, yeah, we've got this car you're looking at. Come on out. And we're like, well, it's an hour drive. I don't know. And so, but we're like, all right, let's just do it. End up getting there an hour and a half later in traffic. We had that in Chicago. Chicago too, and, uh, and get there, arrive at this dealership, and they're like, oh yeah, that, that car sold, but we have this one with a few more miles and a little higher price tag. And you're like, what? What, what do you mean? It sold in an hour and a half? Really? Like anybody ever complete a car sale in an hour and a half? And uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that it was a little bit of a bait and switch, and it stinks to be on the receiving end of that. You feel like gypped. You feel cheated. Well, the truth is in scripture, God does anything but a bait and switch with this whole persecution thing. When I read scripture, he's not saying like, hey, it's going to be rosy. There's going to be no problems. I keep seeing it echoing back to say, look in verse 12. Indeed, indeed, this is true. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The two words that are hard to wiggle out of there is the word all. It's not many. It's not most. It's hard to squeeze out of that all category, right? And, and what does it say? That, the, that they will be. It's not they might be. It's not they may or they could. It's, hey, guess what? If you're serious about living a godly life, you will be persecuted. Kind of part of the deal. It's part of the package. He's saying, I'm not trying to sugarcoat this for you, Timothy. I'm not trying to paint a picture of, of rosy fields. I, I'm saying this is, this is a reality of, of following Christ. So much so, it's such a reoccurring theme in the New Testament. So much so that I believe we have to start asking ourselves some tough questions if we're not receiving persecution. If we're not living our faith in a radical enough way to be making some kind of an impact in the world around us, maybe there's a little bit of concern, right? A little bit of concern that, wait a second, maybe I'm not chasing uh, to the degree that's expected. And that doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily be stoned, but the idea of persecution is the word opposed, opposed. And so my question for us is, are we living out our faith in a degree that's vocal and and active enough that we're being opposed. Is that happening? So the first reality check we see in that section, don't be surprised by persecution. Don't be shocked. We can't say, how could God allow this to happen when he's like, I told you it was going to happen. And the next thing that we see there, don't be surprised by imposters. Don't be surprised by imposters. It's interesting. They only know, points out a few different options in life. There, he says this. He says he says someone that's pursuing life in Christ. Then that's category number one. The other person. Who's the, What's the other category there? Who sees it? Evil person. So you're either pursuing Christ or you're an evil person. Not a. Not don't want to fall in that camp. The third camp that he introduces the is this. Or you've learned to do, act it out, but not live it. And that's that's the imposter. To me, one, that's one of the, the scariest pieces of, uh, of the, the reality of church in America is that it's filled, and potentially even in this, this room, I'd pray not, with people that are actually walking and living as if they are following Christ. But if God saw to their heart, the truth is they're an imposter, which is a scary reality, but not something that we should be surprised with. 
We had a, a, a good friend of mine over for dinner this past Friday night, and he, had, he and his wife and kids, it was fun seeing them all hanging out, but we're having a kind of a heart-to-heart just how things are going with church and some different things going on, and he's saying, man, the truth is my heart breaks because in his church, he had a man and a, a husband and a wife that had been attending for a while, and he found out that the husband, who was a, a stay, was for a season was a stay-at-home dad with the kids as the, the wife was working, actually decided to leave his wife and kids and move in with his girlfriend and separate. And the thing is, he's like, man, it just broke our heart to find that out. And then to, to take it even a next, and then you guys are like, that's common. But, uh, but to even take it the next step further, the, the gentleman had pursued in court, since she was the financial provider, that, he, that she would provide finances in court established that, that they would pr- pr- pay spousal support for him as he's left his family, his kids, and paying, she's there by, by herself paying spousal support. And you're like, man, like in the church, like what, what, how, how flawed is that reality? It breaks my heart that there's, there's folks that are there that are, they're like, man, it, it seems like they're living it. But truth be told, when, when push comes to shove, like the, when their sh- true cards are showed, they fall in the category of an imposter. It's why the, the, the strong words in 2 Corinthians 3.15 says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. It's a scary reality amongst us. The next section there, so reality check. Don't be surprised by persecution. Don't be surprised by imposters. Don't be surprised by the moral decline around us. Look what it says in verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. There's this spiraling effect. There's, the, there's this effect of it going from, hey, it seemed like it was kind of bad, and it seems like things are getting worse. That's what happens apart from Christ. One of the things that comes to mind is a, a passage in uh, Romans 1. If you've read that before, it outlines kind of what the end times would look like in the, the denial of Christ, the denial of even a God, and, and this, this perpetual cycle of, this, uh, of folks. And it points out something in the text that I'll, I'll never forget. In Romans 1, you can maybe study that in your own quiet time this week. It says this three different times. It says that God turned them over to their sin. Turn them over to their sin. This idea of like, all right, if that's what you want, that's what you get. Go for it. That, that's what you choose. I'm going to release you to that. Release you to that tempta- temptation. Release you to that area of sin and let you just have it all for yourself. There's that degree of release. And that's what, what, what it's pointing out here is like they, the, these people that are deceiving even start deceiving themselves. They're like, wait a second, I started just being a deceiver. Now I'm deceived myself. This cycle of confusion where they even start buying their own lies and believing what, they, what they've come up with. So not to be surprised, not to be shocked with this cycle. And so based on that, should we expect that things are going to get better in the world around us? What do you guys think? Conclusions? Better or worse? based on that, that, that passage. So it shouldn't surprise us the moral decline that we're, that we're surrounded by. When you hear some of the things going on with I empathize, you're like, really? That's in Los Angeles? The sale of kids? Like, really? Like, that's what's happening in our culture around us. Moral decline. So he's warning a little reality check, even in that time, that things, imposters, will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
But then based on that, he goes on to one last challenge, and this is a consistent reminder in Scripture. This reminder is this, is to keep in the Word. Look at verse 14. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. As for you, who is he talking to? He's not about the evil people or the imposter. He's talking to the person that's wanting to, to stay firm, to keep on chasing after what he was raised with. I don't know for you, if you look back in your spiritual heritage, if some of us can say, like, man, I'm a, I'm a fifth-generation believer. Like, it's been awesome. My, my, my grandfather, my father, myself, I guess that's not only three. But you, you get the idea. Some of us can celebrate that, that spiritual heritage, or some of you can point to, like, man, I'm, it, it started with me. It started with me. I'm the first one in this, in this chain, and I'm excited about seeing that, that continue. A lot of us can look back, and that's what he's pointing out to what he's pointing out to him, he's saying, but as for you, continue what you've learned and have firmly believed. It wasn't something that it was just a knowledge. He'd firmly embraced that as the truth. He says, you've been acquainted, with, as from a childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. This was something that he was raised with and he was grateful for. In chapter 1 of, of 2 Timothy, you may even remember, he makes reference to Timothy's grandmother and mother and just how they had faithfully built and invested in them. And I was thinking about that even this week, just how important it is for us, uh, not us, but you as moms that are out there to be theologians in your own right because you're instilling in the next generation, building and investing in them. And what a gift that can be to why we need to stay in, in, in the word. And, uh, and I, was, I was reading about that a little bit, and I was thinking about, man, how many people in our, our congregation can look back and be like, man, it's only because of this person's faithfulness or this person's faithfulness, this person that was vocal, this person that took a risk, or this is my parent. You look back at generations prior, and what a gift that is. I was thinking about uh, that th- this quote this week that stuck in my mind. It says, uh, for, for parents, if we don't tell our kids and grandkids what God has done in our life, don't expect their hearts to be captured by our God. Don't expect our, their hearts to be captured by, by our God. It's an important passing on that happens in, in, in the life of a believer. My parents, I'm grateful for, were very diligent in this. I was thinking back even this week in, in preparation of how many things they tried to do to create an environment where we were surrounded and exposed to, to God's words. We had one thing we did. We had family devotions. And it's kind of cool. You guys might not know this, but there's a library uh, to the side of the building over here that you have free access to lots of books. I wouldn't say that all of them are the newest. Uh, this was one that I think in the mid-70s I found back there. This was the, the, the Bible study that we would do as a family growing up. It's called Character Sketches. And it, look at that bear. Isn't that awesome? It had all these nature comparisons. And I remember this one about a wolverine in there that's always stuck in my mind over these years. But, but just that commitment. And so you guys utilize that. that. Maybe not this one. But um, I'm taking that home. Um, but, but the idea of, of building and laying this foundation of, man, a wanna building into the kids, of, of exposing them to, to truth through some of our kids' programs, it's a gift that we can pass on to our family. And what that does is that makes you, it raises and heightens your awareness where you're like, man, I don't want to spoil what was done on my behalf. I don't want to be the weak link in the chain. 
We were this Act Like Men conference, and we were talking about that, the idea of like celebrating like those that were, were a fourth link in the chain, and some of the people in the room that were one link in the, the first link in the chain from generation to generation. But, but then there was a challenge. It was a little bit bold uh, towards the people that you're like, don't be the weak link in the chain. Don't be the one that you're like, well, I don't, I don't know if it's going to pass on to the next generation because I'm the weak link. I don't know if it's going to get passed on. And so just that, that, that word was a, was a great reminder for us in, in relation to this text here where he's celebrating and saying, the reason why we stay in the word is because we got to keep going. we got to keep pressing on, not being the weak link. It continues the explanation as to why this is important. Verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, where a lot of us are familiar with this, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I love that section of Scripture. The first thing that you notice there is that word all again. How much of Scripture? All Scripture. All Scripture. Every single part of it breathed out by God. For a purpose. So God spoke through human authors because he had an intention for us. He wanted this to be something that did those things that was profitable. Teaching, reproof, correction, training. Teaching, the first one, we'll talk through those just briefly. Teaching, the idea that, guess what? We don't know it all. Anybody else coming to that conclusion here lately in life? I'm, that's raining on me lately. This idea that we didn't come out of the package with everything downloaded. Like there were some new apps that needed to be installed. Like we, we, there, there's some, we didn't come with all of it from the box. The idea of teaching stuff that we don't know. Reproof. Reproof, the word that comes to mind for reproof, I think of just getting a good hearty smack in the back of the head. Anybody feel like you need that every once in a while? Anybody have that that you're, that's necessary in your life? For me, it, it's necessary. And the wonderful thing about Scripture is that when you're actually digging into it, it does it often. It does it very often. That hearty smack that you're like, whoo, that felt that one. This past week, I'm going to be transparent for you. So this, la- this last week, uh, in preparation for the section that we did in Scripture uh, last week that John went through, we were kind of compiling 8,000 slides. You might remember them last week. And I had a couple suggestions for that. Uh, for the one for the word, this is me being honest, for the one for the word arrogant, I had suggested uh, the person that came to mind was LeBron James. We put the image up on that. Then this week, as we're talking about it, and I was talking with John, I was just like, man, just feeling convicted of that. That's not like that's not that's not my role to judge somebody's intentions or their motives or their heart. Like even if it's accurate, I I don't know that. I don't know that. That's not that's not placed on me. And so I was just the, the Holy Spirit was bringing up into my mind Romans fourteen that just consistently goes back to don't judge, don't judge. That's not our job. He's the judge, not me. Like that's what the Holy Spirit does through God's word in your life. That's what happens. Is the truth is is that Scripture trains and educates your conscience so that the Holy Spirit has a tool to work with. Does that make sense? And so when, when you're, you're, you're Holy, the Holy Spirit's saying like, all right, now I've got something to work with because he can bring that back to mind. He's been in that text. He can't move past that without me doing that little nudge, that little slap on the back of the head. And that's exactly why we have God's word in our life for teaching and reproof. The next word there, correction, the idea of getting back on track. I love the original description of that word correction was taking something that was fallen and lifting it back up. 
I think that's a beautiful picture of us as, as believers. How many times we're fallen? I've fallen and I can't get up. Remember that? And like how many times just needing lifted back up and restored. And that's the whole idea of God's word, a piece of correction. So teaching, reproof, correction, and then training. Training, the idea, and we even have that in our, in our definition of, a, of what we want to be about as a church, the equip piece, getting us prepared and ready for whatever, whatever act, whatever, whatever good works God might throw across our, our, our plate. This idea of being equipped or trained, I think of uh, going on a, on a trip, like you think through the different trips you've gone on, you get your luggage all ready, you're like trying to think like, oh, Am I forgetting anything? Some years back, I did a, a trip to Kenya for 17 days. I've done it a couple times. And uh, getting ready, and I remember you go over everything in that suitcase, like over and over. What am I forgetting? Does it have this? Does it have enough clean underwear? Does it have my malaria pills? Does it have this? Like enough granola bars to live off of for 17 days. Like, uh, you're, like you're doing all of this math because you want to make sure you have everything that's needed. Every single thing that's needed, and that's kind of the whole idea of the picture here of training, is making sure that you have everything. For what? For what? Well, what does the text say? The man of God may competent, be competent, equipped for every good work. Equipped for every single good work. I was thinking sometimes when we read scripture like that, it can, that can be just a little bit vague. When you, whenever there's a, the, every good work, you're like, yeah, I'll be equipped for every good work, and not really put like attach anything to that. But I was thinking about, what does that look like for us? What does it look like to be equipped for every good work? Think about this. Like in, in your life, in your week, think about being equipped and ready for your conversation with your neighbor when something spiritual comes up. With the, the person that you engage with, with work, uh, at work that has a tough spiritual question. I know Chris has faced that a lot. He's in a, in, a, in a secular master's program and runs into that on a weekly basis. Being equipped with responses for them. Being, being equipped when you have that friend that's fallen after a, after a major fa- failure, how to restore him, how to bring him back into, into community, how to bring him back to a place where, where God can use them. Are you equipped for that? Are you equipped, are you equipped when Carolyn makes the ask and says, hey, can you help teach in the Sunday school this week? You're like, I can because I'm equipped because I've been in the Word so long and so often that I'm ready no matter what you throw at me. You name it, I'm ready to do it because you're equipped. You're equipped for what? Every good work. You're like, man, I'm, I'm equipped because of this to, to, to lead a God-honoring family. I'm equipped to, to invest in my grandkids. I'm equipped, you know what I'm saying? Equipped for everything. Equipped for all of it. That's all included. That's the outcome. And that's the gift. He says that the man of God, I love that description, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The truth of this is, is that if you're not, and this is a bold statement, if you're not in God's word, you're not spiritually strong, period. If you're not in God's word, you're not spiritually strong. Like if, that, if you're not investing and putting time into input of this into your life, you can't expect to be able to stand firm when temptation comes, when trials arise to, to remain under. You can't, you can't expect to, to, to withhold te- temptation amidst persecution. Like None of that happens if you're not in God's word. And I know as preachers, you're like, man, I, I mean, as a congregation, you're like, we've heard preachers say that all the time for generations and generations. And guess what? 
It's still true. It's still true. All of those things. Like if you're not in the word, you're not spiritually strong. And that's the truth and the reality. And that's what he's pointing out to him. He's saying, man, stay the course. Remember the sacred writings as a youth that, we, that was instilled in you. Keep going. Keep going. It's not about new. It's about keeping going with what's already there. Keeping going with what's already there. And this idea... This idea here, though, that's a word of encouragement that I wanted to leave us with this morning is this. You notice in the, the text in verse 15 before we get there, he says, so yes, there's all of these things that you can point to towards right living. But verse 15 says this, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The whole purpose, the whole reason, yes, the Bible's wonderful for pointing us how to, how to live and reproof and correct us and train us and all of that. But the whole primary reason for God's word being instilled in us is to what? Point us to Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason because the, the, the first to recognize that, wait, I can't do this on my own, which is a, a wonderful realization to get to. But then to find out that, man, there's a provision there's a provision in Jesus Christ that says, man, I'm enough. I'm sufficient. And that's the awesome thing that we see in the text there is that the Bible introduces our need for a Savior and who he is. And who he is. That's the, that's the gift of God's word and scripture in our life. And I, I love how this goes through all kinds of practical things. And it starts with a word of encouragement. We saw that right out of the gates that you've stayed on course. You'd be encouraged. But then he moves towards the, the next a few words of, of caution. He says, to like, hey, don't be surprised by persecution. Don't be surprised by imposters. Don't be surprised by the moral decline around us. But then he ends going back to the basics. Going back to the foundation of our faith and what we believe. He says, man, stay in the word. Remember what, you, what you've been taught. Don't, don't, uh, don't derail from that. Stay in the word. But the point of the word is to point us to Jesus Christ. We have a tradition here at the church that the first Sunday of the month, we have an opportunity to take time to do exactly that. Going back to remembering Christ, remembering what this is all about. Yes, there's some practical tools here, but also pointing us back to Jesus Christ. I want to invite Chad up and uh, the worship team. We're going to have a little bit of an extended time to conclude our service of communion. We're going to remember that, wait a second, these sacred writings... They're actually screaming of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. You think about him growing up, Timothy, as a kid. It wasn't because he was reading the New Testament. He was reading the Old Testament, seeing how it all pointed to Christ. We'll commit this time now to Chad leading us in that. In keeping of the spirit of using all of Scripture for teaching and reproof, we just want to share communion in a way that reflects that. So keep in mind that Jesus himself was the founder of communion. The night before he was executed, he called his disciples, his closest friends together, and shared a Passover feast with them. So let's just take a moment and remind ourselves what Passover was all about. We're going to pick up a scripture reading in Exodus chapter 12. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. 
for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. It was the blood of a perfect lamb that saved the nation of Israel that night. In the centuries that followed, Israel was commanded to remind themselves of their sin and their freedom by coming to the temple and offering sacrifices as atonement. This was a really big deal. I don't know if we quite get how big a deal this was. And much of the book of Leviticus is devoted to specific instructions as to how this was to be done. Here's a little bit from Leviticus chapter 5. When he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat, for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. Likewise, the bread has a rich meaning in the Passover narrative. Listen to Deuteronomy 16.3. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste. I think it's worth noting the symbolism there. The nation of Israel did not have time for their bread to rise. They had to get out. I think it's worth noting that there's never time to waste when it comes to accepting God's gift. The time to get out of Egypt is always right now. Very near the time of his, uh, the end of his time on earth, during a Passover feast with his closest friend, Jesus spells it out like this, recorded here in Matthew 26. Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We want to invite the ushers to start passing out the communion elements. It's important to remember that communion is a sacred time and it's meant for those who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if you don't know him, um, we just feel like maybe now's your time, you know? The time to get out of Egypt is always right now. It's not next week. It's right now. We're going to sing this song. We're going to meditate on the scripture. And when the time is right, we'll take the elements. Let's sing together. Jesus paid it all. 
bread represents the body of Christ. It was broken for you. Take now and eat. The cup represents the blood of Christ. It was spilled for you. Take and drink. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you so much for this chance now, this morning, to celebrate you and what was done for us on the cross. Because every time we dive into your word, we recognize our inability to do it all. We're so grateful that you did. So grateful for that example for us to follow. We pray now that you'd allow us to keep going, to keep pressing on, that we'd remain under with you as the rescuer, God. We thank you for this time in your word this morning. I pray that you'd use and mold us and shape us into your likeness going into this week ahead. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord. If we can be praying for you, we have elders available up front.